tricking you in person. (laughs) Laurel and I are here in the same room. Uh, If you've never listened to the pod before, welcome. Thank you for giving us a go. We are three wheeling, two friends who get together about every two weeks to talk about making friends in your 30s. And we also just do a little bit about what we're reading, watching and listening to and just have a general chin wag about life. I'm Sasha. I am a nomadic (laughs) podcast producer. (laughs) Usually I'd say Melbourne based, but at this very moment, we are in the lovely area of Potts Point in Sydney where I'm subletting and Laurel has trekked across the city i have i've come from faraway lands in the inner west to be overlooking elizabeth bay which is now all in the dark but i could see some very nice boats before it is fancy it is super fancy um and i'm really enjoying being here and the boats are really really nice they're selling for you <laughs> as well as people who are down by the boats oh, i imagine <laughs> We can revisit that later. So if you do hear a little bit of background noise, it's because neither of our homes are really suitable for podcast recording. So you just have to put up with the 325 bus going past every now and then. I apologize, but it adds to the atmos. That it does. And I was saying before we turned on the microphone as well, I was like, is this then technically season two? I'm definitely saying that this is season two. We've made it. We've arrived. We're in a second season of our podcast and welcome along. I feel like that is such an achievement, but before I get waylaid by the dynamics of seasons and podcasts... I still can't get over the fact that I'm just looking into your eyes directly (laughs) and not on a screen. I think what we should do is talk about what we've done to make friendships over the last couple of months, because we have had a bit of a hiatus. We have. And it was Christmas, and Christmas I generally think is a family kind of time, so I'm kind of let... As I'm talking, I'm letting myself off the hook here a little bit for (laughs) making new friends because it wasn't really a friend-making time for me, but I'm going to put you in the hot seat and say, like, what did you do to make friends in the last couple of months? Traditionally, not a friend-making time, but when you're living the other side of the world to all of your family, as I am, it becomes a time to be very reliant on friends when you can't get home for Christmas. Technically could have done, chose not to, going for a few weeks in a while, that's a short explanation of what happened. But instead, yes, I spent Christmas with with friends. And, and it happened, as it was happening, I was thinking to myself, my goodness, the people that I spent actual Christmas Day with was a friend that I met on a writing course a year ago, a bit more than a year ago. In that time, she'd had a baby. We've mentioned her on the podcast before, lovely Navi, who I did my lockdown walks with while she was heavily pregnant. And then there I was having Christmas with her husband's family and all of their in-laws. Some of their in-laws had come over from France and they hadn't seen each other in like two years. And it was just the most fun and chaotic time. And it was just great to be included at that table. So yeah, there was a bit of friend making, I guess, or just the fruits of friend making at Christmas. So that was great. You're stopping and like harvesting the hard friendship work that you've done, the toiling in the fields of friends that you've done in Christmas's past. Keep going with this metaphor. I know, I'm really scratching. I'm really like... uh, Scraping the harvest barrel. The harvest barrel here with my analogy. 
Um, but that sounds lovely. It was really nice. And then my actual friend making that I did, which I guess was just this side of New Year and it felt like a very New Year's resolution style thing to do. I enrolled myself, Sasha, in a ocean swimming class and best one of the best things I've done since I moved here. I'm just putting it right at the top. It was so good. It was, um, so the company is called Ocean Fit. I'm going to plug them because I thought they were great. And they've been going for, I think, about 20 years running these ocean swimming lessons out of Sydney, different beaches in Sydney. There are different grades that you can do. You can just do like ocean safety, which is what I did. Or if you're a more confident swimmer, you can do their intermediate level. And then I think above that is they're really just taking you out for like a decent swim and you're just swimming in a, in a solid group of people who are all very confident swimmers. But my group was sort of eight people. I think we were probably seven women, one guy. And he said, that's really normal for the ocean safety lesson. Normally the guys all put themselves in the one above and then they're all struggling to swim. And it was great. And we learned all the things that you don't learn if you didn't grow up in Australia. We learned where the rips are. We learned how to read a rip, how to use the waves to come back in. And it was just great. And I met some lovely people, exchanged numbers with two women who I'm now going to train and swim with. And we're going to hopefully eventually enter an ocean swimming race. And as I was speaking to these women, I was like, it's going to be great fodder for the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Also, um, I don't know whether we've, well, we haven't caught up, but I got really into swimming when I was back in Brisbane. And I was like, that is the number one thing that I'm going to do when I'm in Sydney is make sure that I'm swimming in the ocean as much as possible. So I'm really excited that you've actually brought something that I'm like, well, that's going straight in the diary. Like I'm definitely doing that one. Absolutely do it. And also I now feel like I have three or four friends who are convinced that they're going to swim through the winter here as well as as, as the months start to cool down. And so I'm going to try and be holding everyone to account and keep us swimming all year. So that is if you want to join this effort, Sasha, this is your invitation. <laughs> Do you, so we're leaving, we're leaving friend making there. You've let yourself off the hook. No, oh, no, no. I, I was, um, as you were talking, okay, so it wasn't really friend making, but it was friend nurturing. If we're going back to this like over egged analogy that I keep talking about, Hard Harvesting. Harvesting, scraping the harvest barrel. I grew up in... Did you have that hymn at school that was like, harvest time, (laughs) it's harvest time again. I'm shaking my head a lot. Any English listeners now are like, yep, 100%. 100% 100 remember that one. Okay, well, I'm looking forward for you putting a little snippet of it in post because... Or just texting it to me because I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) I grew up in Brisbane and I went back for five weeks over the summer and all my school friends are there and there's two school friends and it's only our second year of doing this. So we've bravely said that it's a tradition, but obviously I'm not sure. As soon as it's happened more than once, it's a tradition. I I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And so every, every time we're all in the same place at January and we can get some time off work, we do a staycation. We go to a five-star hotel in Brisbane and we just stay overnight nice and we stay in two sets of double beds so it's a bit like school camp that's there's three so of us. cute we order room service and we just chat and catch up and this time we didn't even last year we watched movies this year we didn't even get to the movies we just chatted until 
we were all just so tired and needed to go to bed. Yeah, you did when you were a kid at a sleepover and you're like half talking but half asleep. But yeah. you're like, I, don't, I can't be the one to go to sleep yet. And it's just such a nice return to, we're all in such different places of our lives. We've all got such different careers. We all have very different um, home lives and like work lives. But I think, dare I say it, one thing that everyone has in common is it's nice to take a break and it's nice to have some friends and just veg out and there's a pool and so we always go for a swim have some cocktails by the edge of the pool and then just order at room service and veg out and it's just the greatest gift ever so I cannot recommend it enough um they've my two friends have said that next year it's going to be in Melbourne they want to do a um a traveling oh nice staycation it can't be a staycation if we're traveling (laughs) um but it was just really really joyous to do so that was kind of my friend nurturing um I absolutely love that you've taken the joy of the childhood sleepover and then added all of the adult additions of I can afford a five-star hotel because I'm earning money for at least for one night anyway we could do it for one night we can have treats we can order room service we can drink a cocktail at the side of the pool like who doesn't want to do that what a what a great thing to do with your friends that's so nice it's so nice and I'm going to say it as well because it's not my watching recommendation but I introduced both of them to too hot to handle which is a terrible terrible (laughs) Netflix show about really good looking people who think that they're going on to like a love island style show but when they get there they're actually not allowed to have sex and they're not allowed to even kiss this one yeah and then they have a prize there's a prize pool of money and for everything they do with each other they lose money they get deducted money for making out or whatever they choose to do and it's just the most astonishing TV because it's a terrible premise and you feel awful watching it and it just sucks you in. Even just watching the trailers for Married at First Sight while the Australian Open was on, I was like, do I watch it? I've never, ever watched that in my life. I don't really watch, I don't think I watch any reality TV really, but you know, those trailers, they'll get you. Oh, they know, the producers who work on those shows... It's, it's like the fast food of, you know. Ugh, they know anyway, what they're doing. They really know what they're doing. Speaking of, what have you been watching? Oh, so I hope this isn't your recommendation. I, and, and actually I have to be completely honest and I haven't finished it yet because it's so long. I watched the Get Back documentary on Disney Plus of the Beatles that Peter Jackson made. I watched it with my mom. And my dad, my mom stuck, my mom and I got really, really into it. And dad, and if you've seen it. It's like eight hours long, isn't it? It's really long. And the first episode in particular, I want to say episode, but really it's movie. The first Mm. movie in particular is a lot of them just noodling around in the rehearsal room. And so if you aren't hooked in that first half hour, it's going to be a really long watch for you. It's just the most fascinating documentary piece. I think I've always loved the Beatles. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a super hardcore fan. I've got, and I would say that because one of my really good friends totally schooled me on the Beatles afterwards in a really amazing way. She just went, and this piece was, or, you know, this song was written here and this song was written here and this is why it's important. I just went, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I was like, 
friends with a Beatles historian who knew this much. But isn't it wild? I heard someone talking. I haven't watched it, but I keep hearing about it and I keep thinking, is now the time? Is this the thing that's going to make me get Disney Plus? It could be. There are so many other things as well that are going to lead me to eventually cracking on that subscription, I know. But someone was talking about how you're watching this and, and realizing there was a time where the song Hey Jude didn't exist or whatever, or this, you know, you're watching them actually figure out this song and you know where that's leading because you've heard that song so many times in your life, but watching them actually like play around with the chords and stuff. It's like, I guess you're watching them on a treasure hunt, trying to find what you know is the place that they're going to end up with that song. That's such an interesting perspective because that's not necessarily something that I thought about while I was watching it but it's totally that's totally true and that's a beautiful way of describing it but I think what I found so fascinating is that you realize how young they were yeah because you I think I definitely always think of the Beatles and and I was talking to another friend about this as like I didn't grow up with any you don't grow up with any videos of them or footage Mm -hmm. I grew up with a lot of static images of them on CD covers and and at different ages and different because they were so transformative. Yeah. It was like, oh, this man in this with a bowl cut is Paul McCartney, but also this hippie <laughs> 20 years later is also Paul McCartney. And, you know, when you're 10, you kind of can't really work out how that person can be the same person. Yeah. Um, why he would have changed because you quite like the look of him when he's like a little bowl cut boy. And, and such you don't... transformations as well to go from like the rock and roll era way into the hippie era, like, and to be so instrumental in all of that as well. It's exactly. <laughs> it's just extraordinary. But what I found really interesting with watching it was A, how young they were. And so when this is captured, like John Lennon's 29, Paul McCartney, I think, is 27. And then you realize they've been playing together since they were like 13, 14, and 16. And so then because Yoko is there and she becomes a fixture of it, and that in itself is a really interesting conversation about her. She doesn't really do much. She's always there. But she's omnipresent. Mm -hmm. And for a group that from the way they start talking about it, you realize how how much they'd really been like a four-way marriage Mm. to suddenly have a fifth person in the marriage who only one person has decided needs to be there. It's quite a, it's quite a strong statement. And I think it's just a really beautiful image and portrait of male friendships. Um, In the second episode, I hope it's not ruining anything, but obviously because the Beatles broke up, everyone knows that. Um, Well, maybe you don't know that. Sorry, spoiler. Um, In the second episode in particular, there's a lot of friction between John Lennon, George Harrison and Paul McCartney. And there's quite a frank and open conversation between John Lennon and Paul McCartney that they weren't aware anyone could hear. Is this the one where they're recording it from a flower pot or something? Yeah, Yeah. and... I was incredibly impressed with how these two men in their late 20s really let it all, like really express themselves Mm. in what I thought was actually quite an emotionally healthy way. In an era where people, men particularly, were not being encouraged to express themselves in an emotionally healthy manner. Yeah, and I think um, even though obviously they did, the band did break up, but all bands break up. You know, a band just simply cannot. It's such an intensive creative process 
you can't stay in that place forever. It has to move. It's, it is an organism. And I just thought they stayed. I watched it and went, wow, this is why they stayed together so long because they did actively work on it when mm-hmm. it was hard. Mm-hmm. And I think they were better for it. So I just think it's the most, it's really long. It's really, really long and you have to feel ready. Is it justified in, in is, is the length of it justified, do you think? I, I think there's two answers to that. I think it is in that like I haven't, I found it all really interesting. Mm-hmm. I think it's made for fans. Mm-hmm. There would have been a version that you could have made of it that would have been able to be just one movie in theatres. But I think if you're a band like the Beatles and you know there's millions of people who are going to sit through eight hours of documentary yeah. footage, why not make the eight-hour version? That's how I kind of think of it. Is It's like there's no reason. It didn't need to be eight hours long, but I'm glad he made it eight hours yeah. long because <laughs> I'm watching it. So that's a very long spiel. But, you know, we haven't seen each other in a while, but that's what I watched. What did you watch, though? Because you've got – I saw your notes. You have got a lengthy list. But I think this is also, Sasha, because you've put the fear of God into me that one day I'm going to run out of recommendations. And so I just keep that note there. And then I come in like today, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to give you two or three things. But the fear is so real that I might run out that even now I'm thinking, do I just give one? But I'm going to give two. I'm going to give one that's I'm very sure only on Australian television and streaming services and one that's more internationally available I'm confident okay I'm gonna start with the Australian one because I just finished it and it is so good I feel like I know what you're gonna say but I want you to guess in a way guess is it love me it is love me have you watched it I watched half of the first episode and I had to go somewhere and every single culture editor writer journalist who I trust in the last month including me including you has just sung its praises and been like, it's the best thing. You have to watch it. And Hugo Weaving's in it. National tragic Hugo Weaving. And I love Hugo Weaving. So I do think like... I was trying to describe who was in it to someone the other day. And then I couldn't couldn't remember his name. He's just everywhere. Isn't he just everywhere? But he's one of those people that I have to say, I couldn't remember what his name is. But if you showed me his picture I'm like 100% know who that is but Australian National Treasure and I described was describing him as an Australian National Treasure and his physical appearance to someone and then afterwards I text them his name and they said oh I was gonna guess that but he seems too famous to be in a TV series and well golden age of TV that we're living in but it is a phenomenal TV series so we haven't even said what it's about so it's set in Melbourne it's about a family the father and mother of a family and then they have two children and then it's father and mother of a family daughter son and then each of their experiences of love and relationships and it's just so good and I cried and I laughed in equal measure there was a kiss scene that I think my toes were like both extended and curled all at once and I had this absolute Cheshire cat grin on my face that was just like this is the best kiss I've ever seen um (laughs) (laughs) even the way you just delivered that line um your face just lit up I'm like I have to watch it I have to go back and watch it I genuinely had a conversation with a friend about the male lead in the relationship of the kiss that I'm describing and I just was, I don't, I don't even have words of how, about this man. It's so beautiful. <laughs> but love me. Also because 
Melbourne is a beautiful city and it's nice to see so many lovely parts of it. And I do think that television gets the best part of Melbourne. Yes. Because that's how I felt about Offspring. It's like they make it TV in Melbourne. It just makes it look so cool to live there. And the parents have one of those houses that's like, is it like 1950s style? Like the brick and the wood mm. sort of chalet-ish cabin mm. kind of. Oh, but it's gorgeous. And it's also, that that's a very Australian style house. Yeah. I know people who have those kind of houses where it's like, it's not what you'd never imagine to build it. It's like a very time specific. Yes. Yeah, we're not being very good here describing a house on a podcast, but For a lot I know of what you're saying. Won't have ever seen that kind of house or lived here. Anyway, so love me, and it's on binge. So definitely, definitely go and watch that. And it's only six episodes, and none of them I don't think are an hour long, or they're just shy of an hour. So very like easy snippets of tv to to watch but quite emotionally raw but very very good and so love me and then my other recommendation which was more international is the tv adaptation of station 11 did you read station 11 when it came out a few years ago no i haven't read it (laughs) so the book is by someone called emily st john mandel i think i'm pretty confident that that is her name and it came out a few years ago and it's definitely that dystopia pandemic style of fiction so a lot of people were reading it I think at the beginning of the pandemic even though it came out a few years before that and the premise of the story is um, there's this crazy pandemic flu that sort of it doesn't incubate it just constantly um, uh, what's it called when they evolve they um, oh, um, we should know these kinds of terms this oh kind of God. terminology um, after two years like the, the new pandemic. strain like it yeah. um, just keeps Oh my god! What does it do? There are people shouting into their phones now. Evolve is a great word, though. Well, you it's know mutating. What I mean. Mutating. Thank you. We're really rusty bing, bing, today, bing. aren't we? We are a little bit. We're yeah. a little bit tired. We're a little bit. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. mutating. So it just mutates. So it wipes out a huge amount of the population very, very quickly. And then, obviously, the people that are left are few and far between. And then the story follows. The main character is. Kirsten and she joins a group of people called the Traveling Symphony and they go around these sort of dystopian settlements and villages performing Shakespeare. So like that's the thing that they latched onto culturally and they continued to perform. There are lots of other things happening in the story as well. It's a great book and I would recommend reading it on its own and I'm not like a sci-fi fantasy fan at all but I really enjoyed reading it. But the TV series is so well done and the acting is so good, specifically of the younger version of this main character, Kirsten. This, I think she's about 13 years old, the actress who's playing this, this younger version of her. But she's so, she's so fantastic. And she's not, you know, when you get child actors a lot of the time, and you're like, I'm a child acting. And it's very mm-hmm. clear that they're really trying to act. And she's just so natural. She's just incredible. So yeah, Station Eleven is my other recommendation uh what have you been listening to Sasha oh what have I been listening to oh I'm just going to bring it up because I've totally forgotten the name I'm actually going to recommend an album oh a whole album and to be listened to in order I mean it's a playlist really and I'm going to link the playlist in the show notes so my family go away over Christmas and we go to the beach and my brother and I both studied music and were quite musical. My parents, my mum played the piano, but my dad 
didn't have any formal study of music, but has the most eclectic music collection and ear for things of anyone I've ever met. Like he can just love, he loves the most bizarre collection of things. And when we're at the beach, it would always be someone's turn to put on a playlist. Oh, love that. And cause dad brought his speakers and, and so he started playing this band and I just fell in love with it. And it is the perfect cooking music. I played it every time because we took it in times to cook dinner. And we played it on pasta night. Nice. Because you will hear it is very pasta apt. But also I I just kept coming back to it. So it's a, I assume a 60s, 70s band called Sergio Mendes and Brazil 66. And you know them. I do. I feel like that specific song is one of those songs that everyone's heard or it's probably been on the back of an advert or underlying a trailer or something like that. But it reminded me of, um, yeah, my mum's best friend at her 50th had a sort of that style band playing at this like bar in London. It was all very cool and exciting. And they played that song. I remember them playing that song. Well, you'll listen to this playlist and they do a lot of covers in that style. Yeah. In that very like... Um, do they do the girls in Ipanema? I don't, they, they probably do. I haven't heard that. They do Fool on the Hill in like that kind of t- um, salsary kind of, oh, yeah, style. And it's just great. Um, Perfect so, yeah. summer by the beach, cooking by the beach. I can completely see what you mean now. That is the perfect cooking in the summer. Yeah. Music. I think it's the perfect Saturday night, big meal cooking yes. for a date or like friends coming around. Plates are, plates are platters are being passed. It's yeah. that real kind of, oh, I think I'm going to, um, yeah, I think I'm going to um, make something and it's going to need my concentration, but I want a bit of flair. Yeah, I love it. So, Laurel, what have you been listening to? So, on that extensive note on my phone, I think the listening list is the longest one. Mm. So, I'm going to double up for you and give you two Deborah Levy-related recommendations. So, Deborah Levy, I don't know if I've already waxed lyrical about Deborah Levy to you, to you about Deborah Levy, whichever way around, but she is one of my absolute favorite writer specifically of non-fiction so she's done this thing called a, what does she call it I think she calls it a living autobiography and there are three parts to it the first part was called things I don't want to know the second part was called the cost of living and the third part real estate came out last year and it was probably one of, I think it was definitely in my top five books of last year and it was definitely my favorite non, non-fiction read she it's just, a, she's a beautiful writer and she writes about, the reason I love the cost of living in real estate particularly is because she writes about divorce and being a middle-aged woman, having going through divorce and finding a new part of her life and discovering herself and what it's like to, to where you're finding your identity at that age and, um, yeah, redefining herself, I think, at different points in her life. And it's just, and where she puts her value and she has a really fascinating insight into feminist writing and into being a woman author. And yeah, I just, she's incredible. So she's an idol of mine as an author anyway, but she has appeared because of her raving success of this living autobiography she has appeared on a couple of podcasts recently Mm, mm. not only the formidable des island discs 
eclectic picks, by the way, as well. Fantastic selection of music that she put on Desert Islanders. So definitely go and listen to, to her episode. And that's the most recent one. But she also did an episode of a podcast series that I've been meaning to recommend for a while called The Great Women Artists, which is done by um, a woman called Katie Hessel. And she's based in London. And she started an Instagram account a few years ago to highlight the work of great women artists. And from old masters sort of period to all the way through to contemporary artwork. And I do not have a lot of art knowledge at all. And I find it very approachable and very interesting to listen to this podcast. And she interviews either curators of museums or contemporary artists about either their own work or about historical um, artists like, you know, Georgia O'Keeffe and people like that. And I just love listening to it. And now there's a, there's a more interesting conversation perhaps going on as well. In some episodes, you'll have people talking about historical artists and they'll say, oh, she wouldn't have wanted even to have been considered a woman artist. She would have just wanted to be considered an artist. And this whole conversation, this whole podcast, this person that we're discussing may have hated it. Anyway, Deborah Levy was also on this podcast and now I can't remember which artist she was speaking about, but it is... She's just like a phenomenally intelligent woman and it's just a pleasure to listen to her being a phenomenally intelligent woman. So that's me waxing lyrical about two pieces of Deborah Levy content. I think, um, what's the test that they talk about? It doesn't pass the Bechdel test. The Bechdel test. test. And I think sometimes that's what I love the most about podcasts is that it allows me to hear brilliant women talk Mm. about things that aren't do you have a boyfriend? <laughs> and I'm, I'm finding this in investing is that like, you know, when we, when we interview and, and on your own good company, which I, is one of the podcasts that you've talked about on this. I podcast, love that podcast. Yeah. But who I, I work with. And I, sometimes I think there's two women interviewing another incredible woman. And all they've talked about for half an hour is how to make money and how to have an amazing career and it's so energizing because mm-hmm. it's not how to make money in that kind of capitalist greedy sense no. it's in the analysis and like what makes a company a, um, a success and so I think it's such a joy to listen to intelligent women speak and get to be in their presence and if you can't be in their physical presence you can have them in your ears I love, I love that so much. I was just in awe of that final no, time. I was like, no, just like, yes, yes, yes. Best okay, so. Have you been reading? Did you read on I'm your gonna summer I'm going to jump break? in with my reads. Jump on in, dive um, into that ocean. Dive into the ocean. We're using so many analogies this podcast and I love it. So I have to come clean and say I haven't finished either of these, but I was in such a reading rut that I think it's actually just, I'm, patting myself on the back for actually just reading and getting back in the habit of it um my first is I've been reading Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel and so I feel like that's an easy pass because it's really really long it's really big it's really big and it's quite dense um and I've tried several times before and just couldn't get past the first chapter and for some reason on this holiday I just was in the head head headspace that I could just break the back of it. 
I don't think it's a book I would have found easy to approach without a significant amount of time off. When I read it, I started, when I went on my Wolf Hall trilogy odyssey last year, I started it when I had that two week break that was basically also in lockdown. So there were a very limited number of things that we could do in Sydney and I had the time off, but otherwise it would have been very hard to get into. But once you are in that world, it was all I could think about. Yeah, I think um, I I travel through it because I've kind of paused for a little bit and I think it's because I've reached a point where you're probably getting some really nice siren noises right now, but we'll just ignore that. I think I keep ebbing and flowing, but what I find really fascinating is the almost the diligent detective work that she would have had to put together to write this. Yes. Because there's a essay at the back with Hilary Mantel who mm-hmm. when she talks about how she approached some of the character building and some mm-hmm. of the problem solving and it one of them is that she literally read a letter from an acquaintance of his that didn't even give much detail but said I ran into him on the stairwell on this day he looked upset and then she went to his diary and saw that it was all soul's day And then she looked at something else and realized that it was the anniversary of his wife's death or something. And his son, his son had just, or one of his children had just passed away. And there was a couple of other details and all things that I think I, or or the regular person would just go, oh, what a lot of paperwork. (laughs) But (laughs) but she she weaves it and not only writes it as an account but weaves it into a narrative and I just think it's very hard to remember while I'm reading it that this is Hilary Mantel's version of Thomas Cromwell and not actually like you're watching the crown and being like it's history exactly and I I keep being like oh this is history and then going oh no it's actually not history although it is as you say incredibly well researched and yeah, she's she's approached it as an academic and a detective. I think a little yeah. bit of, a little bit of both, but it is yeah. I I'm mean, just... I feel like when I recommended this as well, it was like Wolf Hall. Who knew? It's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you're like, oh, everyone. Um, so I'm very excited. I also feel that there is a certain amount of smugness that comes with reading Wolf Hall because you realize that when you start talking to people and you go, oh, I've read Wolf Hall. The Wolf Hallites or hi, whatever. Hi, hi, I'm here. Yeah, I don't know if there needs to be a time or not. Like the Wolfies. <laughs> Yeah, it's like Taylor Swift has Swifties. There needs to be yeah, the Wolfies. Yeah, or like the yeah, the Mantel maniacs or the Manteliacs or something. Yeah, I don't know. We'll get there. Need to come out of the woodwork because I've had the most fascinating conversations off the back of it, and I've really enjoyed that. The other one I'm going to recommend because um, I've just found it a really easy read. I've rediscovered the joy of ebook borrowing from your local library. Mm-hmm. You can get them on your phone. Um, so on the bus in the morning, I've been reading, it's called Anatomy of a Scandal. And it was quite a big book. It's set in London, quite a big book a couple of years ago, and it's about to be a Netflix series. So I'm reading it because I think it looks exactly like what I want to watch. And I thought I'd better read it first. It's, look, it's not the best writing in the World. You've gone from one end of the extreme to the other, basically. Yeah, yeah. it's not what I would say like a high. It, yeah, it, that's the perfect example. It's not. <laughs> it's the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, but it's very pacey. 
it's a really easy read and it's yeah perfect for the bus and it's essentially about um it's four three or four perspectives on an mp who um is on trial for um he's accused of rape and so it's the perspective of his wife um another woman who we haven't quite worked out her role in it yet but from when they were 30 years younger and the um prosecutor and i just think it's a rich kind of scene and um they've cast some brilliant british actors in the miniseries that will be on netflix so really i'm reading it really from the perspective of like i'm getting ready to enjoy the movie version (laughs) which i think is fine um so what have you been reading i have been reading i recently finished Also, I have set myself a slightly audacious goal this year, which I'm just going to come clean and say on mic, and then you can hold me to account for it later. I'm trying to read a book a week this year. That's very... I thought you were going to say, like... Three books a week. Three books a month or something. I I don't know. That's not that less audacious, but a book a week is a lot. But it's a lot for me. read voraciously, so I feel that if anyone can do it, it'll be you. I can do it. Um... I know a lot of people who could read triple that in a year. So I think I have that in my mind and I'm like, Meh, it's not that much. But yes, it is. It's it's requiring commitment, but I'm kind of loving. Oh my gosh, this is so like my horror, my horoscope, my astrology minded friends are going to be like, this is the most Virgo thing you've ever said in your life. But me being like, it feels like I'm back at university and I have to finish the book by Friday. And that's my deadline. And I kind of love the fact that I've set myself my deadline and I have to meet it. So when do you read? Do you read? uh, When do I not read, Sasha? Well, that's true. um, No, I... I've started reading in the mornings before work. Okay. I like have my little, give myself a little bit of coffee time on the balcony before I come in and do my work. Now that one is easy because we're all still working from home or I'm definitely still working from home for a while. But also while work was a lot quieter in January, that was an easier thing to do, which is probably going to start becoming a little bit of a challenge. I always read before I go to bed. I can't really go to sleep very easily without reading before bed. And I think that's a thing that was ingrained as a child and my mum always reads before she goes to bed and so it's just it's not in my routine to like be watching something until I go to sleep it's always a book um and it also really helps me sleep so yes I would say majority of it is probably before bed but now that I'm on this this stint of a challenge um probably finding other moments as well and I all I just always have a book on me because you never know if someone's running late or if you get stuck on a train it's always good to to have it with you because your phone can run out of battery, but your, your book is there. So anyway, I've set myself this all yes. audacious goal. And um, one of the books I've enjoyed most recently is called The Book of Form and Emptiness by Ruth Ozeki. And I feel like that sounds like a nonfiction book, but it's definitely a novel, I promise you. Now, Ruth Ozeki is a Japanese-American author, and she wrote this amazing book. She's written other novels other than this as well. But um, she wrote this book called A Tale for the Time Being a few years ago, which I think was either longlisted or shortlisted for the Booker Prize. And that's when I just discovered her, or that's when she, she came to me. And I really loved that book. So 
when her new book was coming out, I was very enthusiastic to, to read it. And this came out last year. And it's about a little boy called Benny. And he's 12. And um, his dad's Japanese and his mum is, is white American. And his dad dies when Benny is 12. And after his dad dies, his mum, in her grieving and her anxiety, begins to collect objects at a vast rate. Some would call it hoarding, other would call, others would call it just collecting. Um, and there's an interesting dynamic there as to how you frame that as well. And then Benny, in his grief, begins hearing voices from objects. Objects begin to talk to him. And then it's it's basically a psychological novel in his experience and the idea of yeah, how much value we place in objects and the role of objects in our life. But it's, I love the way that she writes. I love the way she, in this novel, especially she gives objects personality. And so I did find myself, there were a couple of moments where I think I lost my drinks bottle while I was reading this book. And in my mind, I was like, well, it was ready to part ways with me. It was unhappy and I have to let it go. And that's okay. It's annoyed with me and that's fine. But the bottle is, the bottle is unhappy and it's, I'm ready to let it go and it's fine. It's fine. I've got a new one. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you've recovered somewhat from that experience. It's but so I can raw. also, it, it is, I love it when books are so vivid that they, that they, yeah. they kind of blur into the edges of your actual life. And you're thinking about these characters when you're not reading the book. But also, Ruth Ezeki is a Zen Buddhist. Um, priest I guess or Zen Buddhist in her in her life as well she's you know I don't know how I'm saying this she's a Zen Buddhist she's a, yeah she's a practicing Buddhist. she's a practicing Buddhist and she brings this into or basically all of her novels have this in them and they'll have a character who may be a Zen Buddhist priest or or they or there's just the idea of Zen will be in the novel somewhere uh, and in this novel there is um a, a character who appears and sort of the role that they play is always very interesting and Ozeki has even placed herself in the novel somewhere and that's sort of interesting and the book itself is a character in this novel which is and then it, there's sort of a blurring between the book and Benny. Anyway I won't go on you should read the book. <laughs> that sounds so interesting and I'm really yeah I'm more impressed though by your a book a week for the rest of the year than my and recommendation think, no the recommendation sounds fascinating <laughs> but um I'm also just like really inspired by that and I think any I think reading more that was my greatest kind of that was the thing that really left my life in the last two years because of COVID and I think it's something that I've been reflecting on a lot as like a muscle because I've been jumping back into it expecting to be able to read at the same pace and with the same intensity and the same concentration yeah. that I used to when I was quite a keen reader, which has been more than a couple of years. Um, but I'm trying to remind myself to just go slowly because that's the best way to get back into it. Well, that's the other side of the goal that I've set as well is that you don't want to lose sight of the fact that you should just be reading and enjoying it and taking it in and it and it doesn't matter. I just, I don't know why. I just felt like an, a thing that I wanted to do. And I'm, I'm quite excited by this goal. But I'm also really excited to talk in a couple of weeks about the book that I am about to finish, I think, on the train home this evening. And it is, it's so good. It's so good. I can't wait to talk about it with you. Oh, what, what a note to finish on. Well, I think that's it. It's a nice bumper edition to be back. Thank you so much, everyone that we've talked to over. I know I've certainly experienced this 
over our little break of people saying, I just love the podcast so much. That really actually, it's really surprised me and touched me of how many people have said that they look forward to it. So I want to say a big thank you. I want to say if you do want to say thank you to us, um, Laurel and I have had like a big planning session about what we want to do with it this year. And we do have big plans. So if you do want to say thank you to us and you don't know how, the best thing you can do is actually just pass the pod along. Send it to someone, send it to your girlfriend who you don't see very often. Send it to someone who's trying to make friends in a new city. Yes. Send it to someone who's dating for the first time in a long time after not dating, because I'm sure we're both going to talk about that a lot this year. (laughs) Um, Not doing any plugs. So it just means a world to us and it would make such a difference if our little community just grew a little bit better. Where can people follow us if they want to talk to us in the meantime? People can slide into our DMs on Instagram. We are at threewheelingpod and they can email us threewheelingpod at gmail.com. Never sure about the email address. But we'll put it in the show notes anyway because who writes down emails from podcast anyway you just want to click something you just want to copy and paste that show note that's what you want to do but thank you for joining us and happy new year if we can still say that in february i think we can and we'll talk to you next time bye bye